In February 2004, Maura Murray emptied her bank account, drove four hours from school, crashed her car, got out, and vanished. Everyone has a theory. Was she murdered? Was it suicide? Did she run away? Join the search as an investigative reporter and former U.S. Marshal uncover new evidence, interrogate new witnesses, and trace down new leads in this riveting new investigative series. The Disappearance of Maura Murray, Saturdays at 7, 6 Central, and 9, 8 Central on Oxygen, the new network for crime. Previously on The Disappearance of Maura Murray. Fred, why are you upset with the police? I think they're hiding something. I've been looking into the theory that the police covered up Maura's disappearance. What would you ask him if you had one question? What did you do with Maura Murray? And interviewed an eyewitness known as Witness A, who concealed her identity for years. Do you wish you had gone back and asked well, if you could help? Sometimes I think that I may have disappeared too if I did. Her accusations hinge on police SUV 001, a vehicle people assert was only driven by the chief, Jeff Williams. But the police claim otherwise. What vehicle were you in? The Explorer 4x4. With unprecedented access to law enforcement, I'm picking this theory apart. People have said that you guys know where she is. We don't know where she is, and we don't know what happened to her. And so far, I'm not convinced police were involved. But something else caught my attention. Fred said, well, she's all depressed. Go out in the woods, you step off the trail, and you die. Have you heard the theory that there was another officer on the scene before you, that this, the report by Witness A? I've heard of that, but there was, there was no one there when I got on scene. I'm interviewing Sergeant Cecil Smith, the responding officer to Maura Murray's car crash. If Sergeant Smith was driving SUV 001, as he claims, then there really is no mystery to Witness A's sighting. But why would law enforcement seem so curious about her account after she reported it? I got a call back from the police department. They didn't say, like, are you sure you didn't see anybody? Mm -hmm. <laughs> they were like, are you sure it was 001? I said, yeah. I don't know the answer to that question. Maybe that's just following up with people on that incident. It does seem strange. This is why it's important that we speak to Jeff Williams himself. We've put in many requests but we're still waiting. Did you ever talk to the family, any of the family members? I did. Fred, I explained it to him, and he said, well, you know, she had an accident a couple days ago. She's all depressed. You know, she might have done the old squaw. Like, what, what's that? Well, you know, you're depressed, and we talked about it before on our hikes. You know, you go out in the woods, you step off the trail, and you die. <laughs> Hello. What did you make of that? That Fred knew something I didn't know about Maura and her, her mental state. And when I talked to her sister Kathleen the same day, uh, she told me pretty much the same thing. Maura had had an accident with her father's car while she'd been drinking the, the weekend before. 
She got mad at Fred, got in another car and took off, left Massachusetts. And uh, we think she went in the woods and hid and took a bunch of sleeping pills, and we both think she's dead. Now I have the sister and the father both telling me that she might be dead. That's when it got serious. If Fred warns the police about suicide, it's in stark contrast to anything he's told me. Guy grabbed her walking down the road and killed her. Probably that night. And Kathleen was also clear that she doesn't feel that way now. Suicide? No. No. Why would they tell me something in our interviews that is completely at odds with what they told the police in the days after Maura's disappearance? I need to sit back down with Fred and explore Maura's possible suicide in more depth. In the meantime, our noteworthy interviews with Cecil Smith and John Monahan seem to have had an effect. Assistant Attorney General Strelzin has just informed me he's making Jeff Williams available for an interview. Fred, family investigator John Smith, podcasters Tim and Lance, everyone has wanted to speak with the chief, but no one has ever been allowed. Maggie, nice to meet you. All right, good to see you, Jeff. Come on in, sure. You know, we know you probably have a lot to say about some accusations, rumors out there about yourself. You know, I'm sure you've heard some of those. You know, actually very limited. Um, I'm not a big social media guy. What has been going around the internet is that a woman who has been called Witness A drove by the scene earlier than 7.46 when Cecil responded and says she saw SUV 001 at the scene. So the idea out there is that SUV 001 was your vehicle, that you possibly had something to do with Maura's disappearance? I wasn't at the scene the night of February 9th, 2004. I wasn't on duty at the time of the accident. Was SUV 001 your vehicle? No, for patrol. No, the town never never provided the chief of police right. a cruiser. Yeah. No. Do you know who was driving it? Uh, Sergeant Smith was. Yeah. So you didn't go by the scene? You didn't... No. No, I did not go to the scene that night. We need to look at this through the lens of, right. of what was going on with that call. We weren't responding to the largest missing person case in the state of New Hampshire's history. We were responding to a simple car accident. What do you think happened tomorrow? You know, I've spent sleepless nights since being recontacted about this, because then you start you start thinking about it and you start playing, Jeff, what, what could you have done? What did we miss? What how did this happen? How could this happen? How could this happen? I wish I had answers for you. I, I mean I wish I wish God I wish we had answers. I've done three interviews with the police. Three men who haven't spoken to the media about this case since it made national news. And all three stories match. I feel confident law enforcement had nothing to do with Mora's disappearance. Which leads me back to Fred's statement about the squaw walk. I now understand why police felt suicide was an option. Could something in Mora's life have triggered a suicidal response in a person who might have become unstable? What were Mara's troubles? She stole from Fort Knox. She got caught using stolen credit card numbers to order food. I'm meeting with podcasters Tim and Lance. I want to know, 
Were there any other clues pointing to suicide? A lot of people have speculated that, you know, there was a lot of problems in her life, and she wasn't this all-American good girl. Is it possible that the family was hiding, that she was depressed or struggled with thoughts of suicide before? I think absolutely there's a chance she could have been suicidal, and that could have been why she went. I've dug into patterns associated with suicide and discovered some interesting things. There is a pattern of people going to places that they feel connected to or that are peaceful to commit suicide. The White Mountains she was really close to, she basically grew up there. Is that a possibility that she was going there to commit suicide? Going to a peaceful area to commit suicide might have been one of her intentions. Inside Mora's abandoned car, law enforcement found five packs of sleeping pills, and more importantly, one empty box. Was she trying to overdose on sleeping pills and then was drinking a cocktail with it? Absolutely, there's a good chance that's a possibility. So when Mora crashed Fred's car at UMass, how much damage was done to the car? It's like $9,000 worth. It was a pretty bad accident. Mm -hmm. I would say there's is a good chance he was angry at her, maybe he even yelled at her, you know, and, and maybe that was part of what added on to her stress to leave. What was Fred's response to Mora crashing his car? Could this have set her off in some way, knowing it was a huge financial burden on Fred and the rest of her brothers and sisters? Could the family know that Mora killed herself? Let's talk about the weekend before Mora went missing. You were in Amherst. Mora's on campus at a party near her dorm. So Mora left the party with your car, and then she got in an accident. How badly damaged was your car? Oh, when I first saw it, it looked like a total, total wreck. So how did Mora break the news to you that she got into this accident in Hadley? Oh, um, Dad, I, I've got to tell you something. Was she upset? Was she oh, crying? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she wasn't bawling right then. She had to tell me. And it was difficult for her to get it out. I mean, she could imagine. She didn't want to disappoint me, you know. What was your reaction? Were you upset? Yes. Did you yell at her? No, not yelling, but I don't have to yell for her to know that I was upset. That was the last time you saw her. Do you feel guilty about the last interaction that you had with her was being upset at her? Yeah. She walked into the dorm and I told her something like, it, it's gonna be all right. Uh, it's not the worst thing in the world, but she wasn't hearing that and she was kind of sobbing without tears, you know, it's stifling and so but She was very upset, walked back into the dorm. She was very upset. Uh, can't do anything about it now. Why did you tell the police Mora might have gone on a squaw walk? It was just a way of expressing myself. I, I should have never used that example or something. I don't believe it for, for a minute. And she's way stronger than that, way smarter than that. I know the kid. I brought the kid up. Who would know better? She wouldn't want anyone to think that she was that weak mentally and that unable to handle it, that she just gave up. And that is the reason I know she didn't commit suicide. 
I know she didn't commit suicide. I know the kid. I brought the kid up. Who would know better? Anyway, you'd have found her. How you gonna commit suicide and not be found, you know? It was two feet of snow on the ground. Everybody forgets the two feet of snow, right. you know? There would be footprints in the snow. Fred may think Mora didn't commit suicide, but there's more to explore with the theory that Mora could have died in the woods, either by her own hand or by accident. I went and talked to Mr. Atwood. He said she slurred her speech and uh, she had to lean on something while she was standing there. It's certainly possible she was right there nearby watching everything and waited till everybody left. If Mora was so intoxicated she became disoriented in the woods and died, is it possible the multiple search parties missed her? Hi, Dad. Hi. Maggie, nice to meet you. Maggie. Art and I are meeting with Todd Bogardis at the crash site to find out. A 24-year veteran with New Hampshire Fish and Game, he was the supervisor in charge of the official search for Mora, which commenced a day and a half after she vanished. We also had ground teams out uh, checking trails, roadways. How many search and rescue missions have you done? I'd say I've been participating and managing in the hundreds. Wow. And how many of those are still outstanding missing people? There's still two that are uh, unfounded. And Mora is one of them? Um, she is. Some have been critical of the search for Mora. What is your opinion of the search from back in the day by law enforcement? When it finally started, they waited too long, and then they had suboptimal conditions. What was your initial involvement in, in the search? Law enforcement, they had done um, most of the cursory searching that evening, as well as the next day. Todd's team was brought in 36 hours after the crash on a clear, cold morning. We had about a foot and a half, two feet of snow. There was a very thin crust on the top, but if you or I were to walk off this road into the snow, we would very easily leave a footprint. Because the temperature remained steady and it didn't snow again, the snow on the ground hadn't changed since the crash. The search party used this to their advantage. And did you have any uh, helicopters? Yeah, we did. We searched the immediate area, and then we had them cone out and go several miles away from the area. That helicopter is also equipped with a FLIR unit, which is forward-looking infrared. So had she been out there and giving off any heat signal, they would have been able to pick that up. After covering the significant area, at least 112 and outlying roads over or probably 10 miles distance, the end result was we had no human foot tracks uh, going into the woodlands off of the roadways that were not either cleared or accounted for. At the end of that day, the consensus was she did not leave the roadway. 10 miles of roadway checked just on that first official search. And not a single footprint that could have been Mora's. Today, police brought out search dogs for a second time. They scoured the area near where 21-year-old Mara Murray was last seen. In case they missed something, a second search was organized. 10 days after the crash to inspect the woods. This time with three cadaver dogs who were trained specifically to find human remains. So at that point, you could have been looking for a deceased person. Yes, those dog teams uh, went into the wood lines and searched in different segments on both sides of Route 112. 
within the half mile radius. Anytime we're searching, we're looking for people, yes, but more importantly, we're looking for clues. In clues, you mean like clothing or a backpack or a cell phone or something? Anything, any, any human object. Did you ever find any? Uh, no clues to my knowledge that were directly related to Mora. Todd's team went on to conduct three more searches, one with seven dog teams. In the end, they searched 12 miles of roadway, one to two miles into the woods with dogs and even places up to 50 miles away that they knew Mora loved to visit. They never found a single thing related to Mora. With her missing for six months, the official search was called off. We've heard from people we've interviewed that it's hard to find a body in these woods because they're so thick. Do you agree with that? I do agree it's hard, but I can tell you, I'm not a big believer in people levitating and going long distances. So she had to have left the track for us if she went into the woodlands. I'm fairly confident to say she did not go into the woods and she left the area. Where do you believe she went? There was a New Hampshire State Police bloodhound that was brought in on our first day of searching. That dog did run a track off the crash site. He actually did it twice. And each time he ran a track from the crash site, it ended at the intersection of Bradley Hill Road, um, which is just within sight of the crash site. It's possible she may have been picked up by a vehicle there. Though the search and rescue effort sounds exhaustive, some believe the bloodhound who tracked Mora from the crash site was actually not trailing anything and the cadaver dogs could have missed her body in freezing conditions. To test this out, we've invited Deb Ash and Heather Schaefer, along with their scent dogs, to the cabin. The women run a company called Canine Alert Search Teams, which provides trained dogs to New Hampshire's police and fire departments for the state's search and rescue operations. So can you just explain what your dogs do? Yeah. So my dog is a wilderness air scent dog and looks for people that have passed away. And well, my guy's looking for the live people, mostly. So let's meet the dogs. Can I pet them? Yes, you may. <laughs> oh, cutest. Hi, you're Angus. Angus will track a live scent, meaning using something that belonged to Mora, or in this case, something of mine. How old is he? He is six and a half. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Hi, hi, hi. So this is Aizen. He's the cadaver dog. Deb's dog, Aizen, will demonstrate how dogs track dead bodies. Both dogs have thousands of hours of training and have assisted police, fire, and fish and game in finding missing or deceased individuals. How does finding a scent work? For human remains. Within the first three months, you're probably going to get a lot of odor, so it's going to be a big scent. How about beyond three months? There have been dogs that have found buried remains from centuries ago. Yeah, they can smell fractions of a part per billion of concentration of scent. Wow. Scientists believe a dog's sense of smell is 10,000 to 100,000 times more acute than our own. Some researchers liken this to finding a single rotten apple in two million barrels of apples. And are they trained to only find human remains or just could they find like squirrels or something like that? No. 
our dogs are proofed off of those sorts of things. All we're interested in finding is the human. I was going to ask you about the weather today. I mean, it's obviously very windy here and cold. Does that have an effect on, on the dogs working? The cold, not so much. The wind, it does, very okay. much so. Scent is no different than smoke. So the wind's going to take the smoke, and it's going to move it. On the day Mora went missing, wind speed near the accident site was recorded at between two and four miles per hour. The wind speed today is 23 miles per hour, making our testing even more rigorous because the scent trail will be moved around by the whipping wind. Deb has brought along a frozen human placenta for the test. If Eisen can find it, it'll demonstrate how a cadaver dog can find a corpse, even if only a small part remained. You wanna do it right here? Yeah. We can use some of these branches to cover it. We're going to hide the placenta, so Eisen has to rely completely on his nose. Perfect. That's Great. good. It's a quarter mile away. Let's see if Eisen can track it. Eisen, come here. Finish. You ready? You ready? Switch. Okay, so you can see a little bit of change in behavior. See his yeah, tail yeah. start to wag. Come here. Finish. You ready? You ready? Switch. If the cadaver dog, Eisen, can find the small, frozen body part we've hidden in the snow. It'll illustrate how the dogs used in Mora's search could have found her remains, even during the coldest months of winter and 10 days after the crash, when they started. I mean, it looks like he's going back and forth and then he circles back. Right. They do do that. Right. OK, so you can see a little bit of change in behavior. Huh. Watch, he's in odor. Do you see, see his yeah, tail yeah. start to wag? Yeah. All right, see how he's bracketing back and forth? Yeah. Oh, my god. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Yeah, good boy. Very good. <laughs> so what did he do? He downed. Just a matter of, like, five right. minutes. Five or six minutes, very cold today. And um, if she had been out here, there would be so much scent, of course the dogs would find right. it. So would you say that, you know, the grid area that was searched, would you say she's, she's not there? I would say she is very likely not there. Okay. Now it's time to test the skills of Angus, Heather's tracking dog. Unlike a cadaver dog who is looking for a dead body, a tracking dog will follow the scent of a living person using an article of their clothing or something from the person the dog is tracking, which is exactly what happened after Mora's crash. That dog who did run a track off the crash site, he actually did it twice. And each time, it ended within sight of the crash site. OK, so I'm going to walk down the street to where the tracking dogs lost Mora's scent. Right. And I'll pick you up at the other end, and then we'll go up and give her the gloves and see what happens. OK. All right, go ahead. According to the police account, I'm walking the exact path Mora took away from the crash site. And I'm going to get picked up in exactly the same spot the police tracking dog stopped when he lost Mora's scent, right in front of this cabin. OK. Good job. Here we go. 
guys. You have your scent articles. My gloves. Put them in right there. According to Fred, Mora had new gloves at the time of her accident. I'm putting the gloves I wore at the crash site into a plastic bag. This will give Angus his scent. Okay. Check. Very nice. Search. So now I, I, I feel how hard he's pulling. Right, he's pulling he's, hard. Yeah, I can see it. So he's onto it. He right? is. <laughs> he's so looking it, around. Yeah. yeah. He just totally stopped. This look was what, you know, where'd the right. scent go? Well, Angus did a great job because this is where Maggie stopped. This is very similar to what happened with Mora. And how long would this scent last here, you think? Anywhere from a couple hours after to a couple of days. Couple of days, um, okay. This is important. A bloodhound was put on Mora's trail a day and a half after she disappeared, well within the window to track a strong scent. And Unlike today, winds were calm, meaning Mora's scent trail would likely have remained undisturbed. Could she have walked or gone up into one of these houses anywhere around here? I doubt it. If they had definite indicators that the dog was in the odor, on the track, right. they will follow it. So because the scent was lost right here, more than likely she got in the vehicle? More than likely. In February 2004, Maura Murray emptied her bank account, drove four hours from school, crashed her car, got out, and vanished. Everyone has a theory. Was she murdered? Was it a suicide? Did she run away? Join the search as an investigative reporter and former U.S. Marshal uncover new evidence, interrogate new witnesses, and trace down new leads in this riveting new investigative series. The Disappearance of Maura Murray, Saturdays at 7, 6 Central, and 9, 8 Central on Oxygen, the new network for crime. In the three months Art and I have been investigating Maura's disappearance, we've talked to dozens of people, combed through hundreds of documents, and untangled a web of theories about what happened to her. Now, with forensic testing completed, we want to take stock and decide which theory is most probable and determine what our next step should be. There's five main theories. Right. She ran away, she died in a police cover-up, she committed suicide, she died in the woods, or she was murdered. You know, for running away, I think there were a lot of things going on in her life. Absolutely, yeah. When you hear Mora had gotten in trouble for identity theft and credit card fraud, then it makes a lot of sense that she disappeared. To me, it just doesn't seem like it would be enough to make somebody run away, especially for 13 years. Right, and she was pretty tight with the family, so even if she wanted to, let's just say, get away from the father, I think she would have stayed in touch with either Julie or Kathleen. Right. Do you think she would run away for all this time? No. She loved her family. If she was able to reach out and contact us, she definitely would have but that didn't happen. 
Maura's mother was really sick with cancer when Maura disappeared. How hard would it have been not to come back for her mother's funeral? That seems really impossible to not come back home for mom. And these so-called sightings of Maura that we followed up on just haven't panned out. Basically what Roxanne says is the eyes, the skin tone, everything on the face doesn't, doesn't correspond. So exactly. yep. I think we can cross that one out. Right. One theory that a lot of people gravitate to right. is a police cover-up of some kind. This police cover-up, you know, whether it was the mysterious SUV there, the 001 issue, the state police were trying to cover anything up, everything that we came across had a fairly logical explanation to it. Could they have done a better job? Yes. Yeah, and I mean, they even admit we probably could have done a better job. Right. I think they feel as bad as everybody else does. From the beginning, suicide was a big one. Yeah. But as we've looked into that, I mean, where's the body? Right. Usually in a suicide, there's a note, there's a body. She had stuff to come back to. And right before she had left, she had done her homework assignment. Like, it was like the night before she had sent it. If it were me, that'd be the last thing I would waste my time doing. We were talking about spring break. Did she seem excited about it? Yes. We were going to go to Myrtle Beach. She was excited about future plans. It doesn't sound like somebody who was planning to end their life. OK. And then even when we talked to the police, they said it's possible she just wandered off in the woods and died of the natural elements. I always thought that this was a possibility. How many times have, have you ever seen a dead animal in the woods? So could you miss a human being in the woods? Absolutely. But. I mean, with the five searches that they did, they had GPS on those dogs. We saw the maps. They did a very thorough search. Could humans have missed this? It's possible. But could the dogs have? Not from what we saw. You know, I thought so. they definitely would have found her. Which means the most likely scenario is that. She would have gotten in a car where the dogs lost the scent. Would she accept help from a stranger? I think she would have. Especially up there, everyone's so nice, and we were never really on guard. Which means that she got into a car with somebody and was met with foul play. She was murdered. The most likely scenario is that... She would have gotten in a car. Would she accept help from a stranger? I think she would have. Especially up there, everyone's so nice, and we were never really on guard. Which means that... She was murdered. The little hamlet town of Haverhill, New Hampshire, ain't as pretty as everybody wants to paint it to be. If Mora was abducted and met with foul play, there is one person who has developed leads on suspects since day one, John Smith. He's a former New Hampshire police officer who has helped the family for over a decade. So while investigating Morris' disappearance, you think she did fall victim to foul play? Well, I mean, that is 99% my theory, that yeah. she fell victim to foul play. Can you tell me a little bit about the community up here? Like, what's it like to live in the North Country? It is friendly, and it's calm, it's peaceful. But as with any place, there's other parts of it that aren't as pretty. 
you've got people that are like hermits, you know, that don't come out of their house for months. They don't want to talk to anyone. There's a lot of crazy people around here that do some weird stuff. And you've come across a lot of this while investigating Mora's disappearance. Yes, I have. Do you think somebody in this community knows something? I guarantee it. One of the uh, local rumors is that Mora was supposedly picked up at the vehicle by two or three guys that were headed to the mountain resort. And they grabbed her from the scene, told her that they could get her out of there, and they ended up at this party. And during the party, Mora ended up ODing and they didn't know what to do. This isn't the first time I'm hearing about young men associated with the ski resort, just 20 miles from where Mora vanished. There was um, the story about uh, some young men who worked at the ski area over in Loon that lived and would have driven by that site on the way to work that didn't show up for work that night. Do you think any of these party rumor stories are credible. They sure seem fantastical and more of the urban legend, but I definitely feel that she was abducted. She's a beautiful girl. They were going, oh, let's get you out of here. You've been drinking. And she probably said, yeah, OK, let's go. What do people up here think happened? A lot of the locals that know what their area is like believe that she was taken and she was abducted and, and more than likely killed. But how possible is it someone would drive by at just the right time and kill Mora? Some believe it's more likely than we might think. Here's a criminal investigator from the Missing Mora Murray podcast. People keep saying that the probability of somebody getting in a car accident and then just by chance that you happen upon a serial killer, that is so unlikely, it just didn't happen. When there are studies that show that two of the major factors that contribute to crime are temptation and opportunity. There's no question that Mora, her being alone at night by herself, you know, poses a perfect opportunity. One serial killer looked for such opportunities. Israel Keyes was known to prey on people who were lost and called New Hampshire his stomping grounds. He planted murder kits with zip ties and weapons in the region so he could be prepared for his next victim. He was captured in 2012, and it's speculated he killed a dozen people, including two in Vermont. Though some members of the Murray family thought Keyes was a possible suspect, no connection has been drawn by law enforcement. And he committed suicide in prison in 2012. If Israel Keys didn't kill Mora, could there be a different serial killer on the loose? There are others in the region who have mysteriously vanished. In 1993, 10-year-old Holly Peranian was abducted while walking with her younger brother in Sturbridge, Massachusetts. Her body wasn't found for three months. Seven years later, and just 10 miles away, 16-year-old Molly Bish vanished working as a lifeguard at a local pond. Her bones were found scattered in the woods three years later. Some suspect the two girls were murdered by the same man, and more than one has been investigated, though none have been charged. John Smith has traced dozens of murdered and missing women to New Hampshire alone. 
all within about 100 miles from where Mora vanished. He hasn't yet found a clear connection between Mora and these cases. But one case stands out. 17-year-old Brianna Maitland. Brianna Maitland went missing on March 19, 2004, approximately five weeks after Mora did, so I started becoming very interested in Brianna's case as well. Brianna Maitland vanished just 90 miles from where Mora disappeared. We're with John Smith on our way to where her abandoned vehicle was found. What were the circumstances surrounding Brianna's disappearance? Kind of bizarre. She'd just gotten out of work, and she drove not more than a few miles down the road, and her vehicle was found backed into an old farmhouse. The door was wide open, and paychecks on the seat. She was nowhere to be seen. She'd be up over this rise and on the right-hand side. Unfortunately, it has been burned down since I was up here the last time. This is the site of the old Dutchburn house, which is where Brianna Maitland's car was found. I came here to put posters for Moore Murray up. Um, I was looking into this case, and I was trying to make some connections because the similarities of the vehicles just being deserted. And the, the vehicle actually backed into the house fast and hard enough to put a hole into the side of the house. And the vehicle was left there. So I was very interested in the whole possibility that there was a serial killer connection. They've got a lot more information on Brianna Maitland than we have on Maura Murray. Right. Once they had done a bunch of investigation and they found out that she was possibly connected to the drug scene. So I think that um, more than likely, she was definitely involved with some bad characters. But Morris doesn't have that. We don't have that much stuff to work with. We're, we're, it's basically all dead ends in Morris' case. But the Maitlands have denied their daughter's involvement in the drug scene. And some believe a connection between the cases and one killer is still possible. If you think about it, both of them had minor accidents, both very young and very nice looking, and they both disappeared without a trace. People around here are really upset. They want this solved. She's not gone of her own free will, and, and neither is Mara. Several people of interest have been investigated in the Brianna Maitland case, but no suspects have been named. Brianna's case, like Mora's, has gone cold. John Smith hasn't completely ruled out a serial killer, and he's continued to pursue leads on suspects, namely, a few locals that have caught his attention. Is there anyone else connected to this case that you have looked into, or anything else? There's this really strange story about these two brothers who, one of them lived in an A-frame, which is only about a mile from the accident scene. There was rumors out there that Mora was taken and brought to this A-frame, and then she was actually killed in the A-frame. It's rumored that one of these brothers was involved in the local drug scene and had a criminal past. Could he have picked Mora up and then murdered her? Only a mile from where she crashed.
One of them came forward, this is months after Moore disappeared, and said that he believed that his brother could have something to do with the case. And he called Mr. Murray and said, I found a knife in the glove compartment that had blood on it. They ended up getting this knife to Mr. Murray, and Mr. Murray tried to give that knife to the New Hampshire State Police, and they refused it. He sent it back again, and they accepted it the second time. And do you know whatever came of the knife we after that? We don't know. Have you done any forensic testing? Nothing that I can share publicly. The place was vacant in 2006, so the owner of the property actually came to us hmm. and said that if we wanted to go in there, we could. So we went in with the dogs. The dogs got a big hit on this upstairs closet um, for human remains. And carpet samples were given to the New Hampshire State Police. And we, of course, again, don't know what happened to that sample or what the test proved. So could we test other carpet samples or anything in the house? No, um, there's no carpet left in the house because the new owners had taken it all out. There may not have been carpet left, but there was something else. We ended up going there in 2016 with Tim and Lance. Can I keep going? We can go up to the house up here. We went through the whole house. Do you think that's blood? I mean, more than likely, it's human blood if it's up here in this room. Right. The closet. Yeah. You know, there's not going to be a bloody deer in the closet. <laughs> we actually took wood chips from that closet, and I have those in my possession. If it's really blood they saw, could it be Mora's? Have you tested the wood chips? I haven't tested them yet, no. Would you be open to sharing the chips with us and we could have them tested? Yeah, I'd love to have them tested. Let's do it. Hi, how are, how you? are you? Good. Come on yeah. in. Maggie. Art and I are meeting with Dr. Max Nuradin a molecular geneticist and recognized forensic DNA expert. He'll tell us if these wood chips have blood on them at all. If they do, it could mean Mora was murdered in the A-frame house. And if a mix of DNA is found, it could also ID a killer. How are, How you? are you? Good, Max Noradine. Nice, nice, to, meet nice you. to meet you. Art and I are with Dr. Max Noradine, a geneticist who will tell us if blood is present on wood samples taken from a house it's rumored Mora was murdered in. If it is, it could solve her disappearance and ID her killer. Well, we have some wood chips from a house that was searched by canines, and they were getting a particular hit in this closet. The walls look like they might have been paneled, and that's what these chips look like, actually, wood paneling. Dr. Nuradine is using phenothaline, which will tell us if blood is present at all, and if the chips are viable for DNA testing. The phenolphthalein test is a, uh, a color-based test, so you'll be able to see a really okay. bright pink color develop if blood is present. 
And this is huge. These, this is all that is left of the house. And this could really put to rest some theories that are out there or confirm some things as well. Because of renovations, this critical evidence is the last to ever come out of the A-frame house and possibly the last remnant of Mora. If this well, comes up positive for blood. You send this off to DNA right away. Okay. I'm gonna start out with a drop of alcohol. Phenothaline reagent. I do see some pink color showing up. Mm. Really? For more on this case, visit oxygen.com. On February 9th, 2004, Maura Murray nearly emptied her bank account, drove four hours from school, crashed her car, got out, and disappeared. Everyone has a theory. Some people think she was murdered. Some people think she committed suicide. Others think she ran away. What do you think? And there's a new search. As an investigative reporter, a former U.S. Marshal, two wildly popular podcasters uncovered the evidence, interrogate witnesses, and track down new leads in this riveting new investigative series, The Disappearance of Moore Murray. Saturdays at 7, 6 Central and 9, 8 Central on Oxygen, the new network for crime.